welcome to Southridge. We're so glad that you are here. We're going to take our Bibles to Mark chapter number 9. Thrilled and honored that you would be here. I know it's 4th of July weekend, so I know there's a lot of plans, a lot of things going on. But we are glad that you are here to worship with us this morning. Thankful to have the group here with us. What a blessing to have them. They've been just awesome to uh, get to know them. It's just been a help. And if you would like more information, I want to encourage you. I'm a strong believer in Christian college. And I know there's a lot of good schools around. I know there's a lot of good schools that are local. But um, there's another one if you've been praying, thinking about it. Mark chapter number 9, if you have your Bibles, if not, it'll be up on the screen, or you can pull out your Palm Pilot, your iPad. I just said Palm Pilot. We just went back, y'all. Man, anybody remember Palm Pilots? Whoo, good night. Wow. I should have said Blackberry. That would have been a little bit more acceptable, but Palm Pilot. Man, I remember those people. They were cool if they had a Palm Pilot, you know, big old thing. It's kind of like a pager and everything. Some of you are like, I have no clue. Um, your parents may remember it after they got off the ark. They received one. So just ask your parents. They may, may still have one around, <laughs> all right? But your iPhones or if you are uh, not a Christian, Android is acceptable here. You know, we, will, we accept it. It's okay. But uh, God's people, the chosen few, have Apple products, so... Just kidding, I'm preaching heresy right now for some of you. But uh, Mark chapter number 9, can we stand out of respect for the Word of God? It's just kind of our custom. If you are new, welcome. You are our VIP, our valued guest. If we could do anything for you while you're here, please let us know. We have a gift for you on the way out, so we want to make sure we can meet and greet you. We're honored that you're here. We don't take it lightly. But we're going to be in Mark chapter number 9, and we're going to start looking at a passage of Scripture. We're in a series that we've entitled BHAP. And uh, I'll give a little bit of explanation for that. But it stands for a big, hairy, audacious prayer. And uh, we're going to jump into it this morning. Starting in uh, Mark chapter number 9, we're going to pick it up in verse number 14. Let me give you just a little bit of background here. Mark chapter number 9, Jesus has just gone up top of the mountain. He's taken Peter, James, and John. Jesus has been transfigured. And he asked Peter, James, and John to go up with him. I know sometimes in life we are tempted to pray to ask God to move the mountain. You have a mountain in your life. You're asking God to move it. If God doesn't move it, you just need to accept that God may want you to climb that mountain. And when you climb that mountain, just like those disciples, they climbed that mountain, and they saw Jesus in a whole new way. So if you, if God isn't moving a mountain in your life, you've been praying and asking him to move, maybe God wants you to climb it. And you're going to see God in a whole new light this morning. Well, Mark chapter number 9, notice if you would, verse number 14. The Bible says this, when they came down, and when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them, and the scribes questioning with them. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed, and running to him, saluted him. And he asked the scribes, what question ye with them? And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And some of you fathers are like, oh, he's preaching about my son. No, no, that's not what he's... I think that was my dad's life verse for me. But uh, no, that's not quite it. And uh, let's pick it up, verse number uh, 18. And whatsoever he taketh them, he teareth him, and he foameth, and he gnasheth with his teeth, and he pineth away. Basically, this this, uh, boy has seizures, and he's possessed with a demon here. And uh, continuing on. The disciples that they... uh, He said he asked the disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. He answered him and saith, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. 
And they brought him unto him. And when he saw him, straightway the spirit tore him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. And he asked the father, how long does it ago since this came unto him? And he said, of a child. And oftentimes it cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. I find that interesting that this man has come to Jesus and he's saying, Jesus, if you can just do something, if you could just do anything. And I feel like that's a word for some of you this morning because you come on Sundays. God, if you can just kind of do something for me this morning. And our posture that we come to church with says a lot about how, what we receive from God. I've been to the Grand Canyon, and I've seen people that could care less are at the Grand Canyon because their face is staring down at their phone. The Grand Canyon's in front of you, but whatever you got on your phone apparently is more important than the Grand Canyon. I've met people, they're sitting down, and they're having a family dinner, and nobody's looking at each other around the table at the family dinner. They are just simply looking down at their phones because it's not as important to what's going on around them. And I find that their posture is very important. Some people come to church, and they'll come to church with the wrong posture. Like, come on, preacher man, give me something. I'm just kind of here. And they wonder why they walk out and they don't receive anything because their posture. Because we're just saying, if you could do something, if, if, a little bit of doubt. And I find that interesting. Notice how Jesus answers this in the only way Jesus would. Verse number 21, and he asked his father, how long is it? Uh, Excuse me, verse 23. But Jesus said unto him, if Thou can believe all things are possible. All things are possible. Here's this father. His son has had this problem, had this disease, had this uh, uh, demonic spirit. And he's saying, Jesus, if you could do something, if you could just relieve this. And Jesus is saying, I can do all things. All things. Verse 24, and straightway the father of the child cried out and said unto him with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. This morning, I've entitled the message, The Secret Ingredient Is. And I want you to touch a neighbor before you get seated and say, Hey, are you missing the ingredient? Touch somebody next to you and say, Hey, are you missing the ingredient? Are you missing the ingredient? Are you missing the ingredient? Once you've done that, once you've annoyed a couple people next to you and woken them up, have a seat. We are glad that you are here. We're going to jump into this message. I feel like when God called me to be a pastor, one of the major things that um, wasn't necessarily on the job description, but it's kind of implied with ministry, is the fact that part of my calling, I feel, is to believe in people who don't believe in themselves. I feel like God has given me a calling on my life that says, hey, there's a person that doesn't feel like they can be all that they should be in Christ. And I feel like it's part of my calling to believe for them. I feel like it's part of my calling to kind of join arms with a parent here that doesn't believe that their child may turn out. I believe it's part of my calling to believe with you. I believe it's part of my calling to believe great things for you. That's hard sometimes because sometimes I have my own doubts. And this week I was praying and I was saying, Lord, we're, we're, we're studying this topic of prayer and we want to be a church that prays big, hairy, audacious prayers, not just small prayers, not prayers that, God, if you did it, we wouldn't notice. But we're talking about window rattling, earth shaking prayers, the prayers where we step back and we say that had to have been God because there's no way we could have done it. There's no way that could have happened. There's no way the doctor's report could have changed. There's no way my teenager would have come back to God. There is no way this situation could have, could have done a 180 except for God stepped in. And so 
I was thinking about it, saying, Lord, what's missing? And in my own devotions, I've been going through the book of Mark, and I found this father. And this father, here he is, and I find it interesting that it's a dad, because usually the moms are the more sympathetic ones. Usually us as men, we're just kind of like, hey, walk it off, you know, slap on the butt and keep going, man. You got this. It's going to be all right. But no, no, no. It's not the mother bringing the child to Jesus. It's the father. The father who said, hey, he's had this since he was younger. Here's his father so tenderly bringing this child to Jesus because he wants something to change. And Jesus so accurately points out what is missing in this father's life. Because this father, Jesus says, hey, I can do all things. And this father says, I believe, but help my unbelief. And once I read that passage of scripture, I said, that's it. The missing ingredient is belief. I feel so often we pray prayers, but we kind of in the back of our mind, we kind of leave a, an out clause for God. Like, God, if you can, if you will, if you want to, if you would, kind of give God an out. Instead of backing ourselves into a corner, instead of praying something audacious, instead of stepping out, instead of asking for something boldly, we kind of timidly approach the throne of grace. We timidly approach God instead of standing confidently on his word, declaring what God has promised us. You see, you and I can't stand on the promise of God's word because God stands by his word. I want us to see that belief simply means a confidence in someone or something. You see... I was convicted this morning or this week by the thought of, when was the last time I was caught in the act of believing God? When was the last time that I had stepped out and attempted something for God and you just get caught believing God? Could somebody, could somebody point to you and say, hey, you're trusting God right now. I can see it. It's all over you. Everything that you're doing, the way that you're acting, the way that you're behaving, the way that you're approaching this situation is because you are stepping out and you want to be caught in the act of believing God. You see, belief is the only thing that will ever close the gap between our theology, what we know about God, and our reality. And I know that's a deeper thought, so let me break it down simply. You see, belief turns the ridiculous into reality. And that's what we want. We want to see something that just seems so far off, so unattainable, where you say, God, unless you come through, this is not going to happen. And God, unless you step in this situation, this ridiculous situation, this crazy situation, it's not going to come to pass. And we need this reality, God. We want to see it cross over. And I see these disciples are about to learn a powerful lesson about when Jesus steps into a situation and helps people go from the ridiculous to reality. And maybe that's you here this morning. You're praying. You're asking God for something. And I want you to write this down. You see, you need belief and you need nothing more. You need belief and nothing more. I find so many times we're looking for all the secret ingredients. And the ingredients are important. You ever made something without salt and it required salt? Tastes pretty disgusting. Or you got baking soda and baking powder switched up and you got the wrong measurements. And it tastes awful. And uh, so ingredients, we understand it's important. But what about the missing ingredient in our prayer lives? Because we're called to pray. We're called to ask big things. We're called to ask God for things. But sometimes I'm afraid that we, when we come, we're just kind of like this father. No belief. No faith. So when it comes to belief, we need to understand we need belief and nothing more. Notice, if you would, verse number 17. The Bible says, And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. Hold on. Look at the scripture there. Jesus, just prior to this, where has Jesus been? On a mountain. 
did this father bring the son to Jesus? No, he couldn't have. Jesus just got there. Who did he bring his son to? The disciples. Were the disciples able to cast him out? No, they weren't able to do anything. See, sometimes I feel like we think we're bringing our problem to Jesus, but really we just brought our problem to church. And there's a difference. Sometimes I feel like, and and you guys got to work with me. I know you're a little bit sleepy this morning, but I feel like sometimes we feel like we prayed about a problem, but really we just gossiped to our friend about a problem. And we wonder why nothing's changed. You're thinking you're bringing something to Jesus, but you haven't brought it to Jesus. You brought it to everybody but Jesus. And here's his father. Hey, I brought my son to you. No, you didn't bring him to Jesus. Jesus just got there. You brought him to the disciples. You brought him to somebody else. So some of you this morning, you're like, God hasn't answered my prayer. Have you brought it to him? Stop just bringing your stuff to church. I mean, church is important. I'm glad you're here. This is great for you to be here. But don't just think that church is the end all for your problems. Don't just think, well, church and Jesus are synonymous. No, they're not the same thing. We need to come boldly under the throne of grace that we may bring our petition to God. Here's this disciple. Here's this father. And he's, he's thinking that he's dealing with this problem, but he hasn't been dealing with this problem. Some of you are hanging on the same problem because you're not dealing with it correctly. You're taking it everywhere, everything else, instead of bringing it to Jesus. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 8, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. But so often we cast our care everywhere, but on Jesus. It's time that we say, you know what, I'm bringing this thing to Jesus. I'm taking this to Jesus. Touch your neighbor and say, take it to Jesus. Take it to Jesus. Take it to Jesus. Because we have something, and it's too often that we just, we just hold on to it. We worry about it, and we fret about it, and we get upset about it, and we get stomach ulcers over it because we're not dealing with it in the correct way. You see, we need this belief. But then as I was studying this passage of Scripture, I see Jesus' reaction in verse number 19. He said, Oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? Or, or un, oh, unbelieving generation. And I was thinking that he turns to his disciples and rebuked his disciples. That's what I thought. But wait a minute. The disciples were trying. I don't think the disciples were doubting. Because in Matthew chapter number 6, verse number 19, the disciples, when they were sent out two by two, were casting out demons. And in the Bible says, many. So three chapters prior, they were able to do this. What changed? Who is Jesus speaking to? He's not speaking to the disciples. You see, as soon as Jesus came down off the mountain in verse number 14, the Bible says, and when he came down to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them and the scribes questioning them. Let me ask you this. For some of you Bible scholars, were the scribes and Pharisees friends of Jesus? The answer is no. They weren't. And any opportunity they could to kind of get the better of Jesus, they took it. So they see the disciples of Jesus trying to perform a miracle, and they're not able to perform the miracle. So what are these scribes doing? They're a little bit happy about it. This is terrible. Here's a a poor child who has um, uh, tried to commit suicide because of this uh, demonic possession here. And these Pharisees, these scribes, they're actually a little bit happy about it. You're going to find that there's some people, as you're trying to serve God, love God, raise up a godly family, you're going to find some people are a little bit happy when you go through hard times. They're a little bit happy when, when things aren't working out all that well for you. Don't be surprised when tough times come and you find that the people you thought were your friends aren't really all that friendly to you. They're a little bit happy that things aren't going as well as they should. It's not right. It's wrong. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying it's reality. It's reality. And here are these disciples. Jesus is not speaking to the disciples. He's saying, oh, faithless generation. He's looking at these Pharisees saying, I can't believe you guys. Here's a child. This is beyond what the beef you and I have. This is a child who is suffering, and you guys are okay with this? You guys are fine with this? 
And so he's dealing with that. He's saying, oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? And then he says, bring the child to me. You see, I want you to understand something. Sometimes we go through stuff and we start thinking, God, why, why me? Why this child? What did this child do? The Bible even says that Jesus asked, how long has your child suffered? And the father says, from a very young age. And I've often thought, Lord, why do people go through difficulty? Why do people go through frustrations and setbacks? And then they came to me. God wants your full obedience, not your full understanding. And a lot of times we get really wrapped up in having to fully understand something. I learned a long time ago that, hey, I don't have to fully understand everything to appreciate something. That started for me six years ago when I married my wife. I don't have to fully understand something to appreciate something. I don't have to fully understand God to appreciate God. And a lot of people say, no, no, i got to fully understand him. He is incomprehensible. You're never going to fully understand God. And if you could, he would cease to be God if you could fully understand God. So stop in your own mind trying to say, I want to figure out everything there is to know about God. You may be brilliant intellectually. He'll still be above you. And take comfort in that thought. Matter of fact, the Bible even says in Isaiah that for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and your thoughts than my thoughts. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. So when it comes to this trust in the Lord, some of you are saying, hey, I would step out in obedience. I would step out in faith, but I just don't fully understand. God's not asking for your understanding. He's asking for our obedience in this situation. But you say, but I just don't like difficulty. I don't, I, I, I don't know why this is happening. Why is it this family's got to suffer? Or you're sitting here and you're saying, why do I have to go through this? And, and I've been serving the Lord. And I've been trying my best. And I've been trying to uh, encourage others to follow God. And why is this difficulty? Why is this trial facing me? And have you ever thought that we are called to be victors in Christ? We're called to be overcomers in Christ. But the problem, if you're going to have the title of an overcomer, it means you have to have something to overcome. You see, I find that everybody wants to be the hero. Everybody wants the glory, but nobody wants the story. Okay? Everybody wants the blessing. Nobody wants the battle. Everybody wants the fruit. They don't want the fight. So you and I, we need to understand, wait a minute. If God has called us to be overcomers, we're going to have some stuff to overcome. All right, Christian? There's going to be some stuff that's going to come into our life. It's not going to be pleasant. It's not going to be fun. It's not going to be comfortable. But God has called us to be conquerors. For greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So we are called to overcome this. We're called to overcome it. We're called to overcome it. Until somebody gets excited, I'm going to keep saying it. We're called to overcome. We're called to overcome. We're called to overcome. So stop sitting back. Stop saying, I just don't know why Jesus just doesn't like me no more. No, that's not what it's about. He's called you to be an overcomer. That means there's some junk you've got to overcome. There's some battles you've got to fight. So don't be surprised. Don't be dismayed. Don't be discouraged. You don't have to hang your head low when you come into the theater and somebody asks you, how was your week? And say, oh, brother, oh, i got to tell you. And I don't know why I like using a southern accent. I don't know. It's just kind of fun. I guess that's when you really start preaching. You use like the southern accent and everything. And so I could try it, you know, brother and sister and all that. And you just kind of drag yourself into church. Why? You should come in saying hey i had a fight this week but guess what jesus came out on top jesus helped me get me through it it was difficult it was big it was bad but you know what it didn't beat me 
And we can take comfort in this. We can take pleasure in knowing that God is giving us things to overcome because your faith builds on difficulty. Some of you are sitting here this morning, you're saying, well, my faith isn't very strong. My belief isn't very strong because you haven't fought any battles. You see, you want to go deeper. You want to go further in the Christian life. Then you're going to face some battles. You're going to face some difficulties. You're going to face some setbacks. But every time you overcome, you get a little bit stronger and a little bit stronger. It's just like when you started going to the gym. Come on now. I started going to the gym three months ago. I kid you not. There was a 15-year-old girl lifting more than me. 15-year-old girl. She elbows me and says, give me your man card. Come on. I'm taking it right now. And it's like you got to start somewhere, all right? You've got to start somewhere and say, I'm going to build from here. Oh, my ego kicked in. Real, I was like, oh, I'm not going to do it. And she tore me up, okay? All right? And you've just got to start and say, hey, my faith is going to build. I'm going to grow. I'm not going to stay here. You will never be an overcomer if you don't have anything to overcome. One person has wisely said it. He said, smooth seas never made a skillful sailor. Smooth seas never made a skillful sailor. So if you're facing difficulty, take courage this morning that God is preparing you. And this, stop praying for the absence of opposition. Some of you, that's what you're praying for. God, I just don't want any more problems. No more. All of a sudden, you find yourself in your own little planet, nobody around. That's the only way you're not going to have problems. And even then, some of you had a little schizophrenia thing going on. You're going to have yourself. You're going to be like, shut up, self. I promise you, you will find Wilson Beach Ball, and the two of you will go at it. Because why? You are your greatest enemy. You are your own worst problem. Our problems follow us. So if you're saying, I don't want any more problems, it's not going to happen. So stop praying for the absence of difficulty. Stop praying for the absence of opposition. Start praying for the presence of victory. You see, the disciples had failed, but God was going to use this failure in their life so that he ultimately could prevail. You see, some of you are sitting here, you're thinking, God, why did you let me fail? Why did the disciples fail? And I thought about this, that God may allow your small plans to fail so that his big dreams can prevail. Because oftentimes, there's been some things in my life, and this may be a personal testimony for some of you, that I failed at something that was so utterly small and insignificant, and it was actually a good thing because God says I wasn't going to get a lot of glory out of that. You set your standard so low. You set the goal so low. I wasn't going to get enough glory. You've got to go bigger. You've got to go bigger on this thing. Don't just set, set the bar low. Don't go easy. We were talking to my wife, and, and we were doing this exercise and the other day, and it was going to be a hard exercise in two miles and intervals, and it was going to be tough. And one person was saying, hey, here's the easier way. And I said, honey, don't listen to her. Because we came to the gym for something hard. I came here for something hard. I don't want it easy. If I want it easy, I would stay home with the potato chips and watch Netflix if I want it easy. You join the Christian life, so stop saying, hey, does anybody know the easy way out of this thing? I don't understand you people. When you go to the gym, you're saying, hey, what's the easiest? What's the lightest weight that I can do? Why are you at the gym? Why in the Christian faith? If you're just saying, how easy is it? What, what, what do I got to do? 10% is the bare minimum I got to do tithe? How many times do I go to church? Is it like two times a month, three times a month? What's a bare minimum just to kind of get by? Are we just going to have the get by mentality? Because the disciples here, they were understanding there's a whole new world Jesus wanted to open up. And the get by mentality was not going to work. The good enough mentality is not acceptable. 
So I want you to understand that belief, you need belief in nothing more, but you need belief in nothing less. So we need to ask for it. You see, God will do nothing less than his best for you. I noticed in this passage in verse 22, here the, the, the father says, if you can do anything, have compassion on my son. For some of you, you're settling for second best for your life. Stop settling. Stop settling. Stop getting that point where you're just like, God, if you could just give me a little bit of relief from this pain. So that's really what the father, and this father's asking for. He's saying, just give me a little aspirin to numb the pain. If you can just kind of help my son go to sleep. Come on, uh, parents, remember when the kids were newborns? You just wanted like a solid five uninterrupted hours of rest. That's all you wanted, and it was a good day. And you were just like, please, whatever it takes. And you were tempted to give your baby Benadryl. You were tempted to like, you know, whatever it takes. Just, just please sleep. I just need some rest. And this father's at that point of desperation. He's like, just, just something. Just, just help my boy calm down. You know, you, you, got, you got some, uh, some Prozac or something that he can take. Just kind of calm him down to a pill or something. He just wants something to ease the pain. I often find that when it comes to our prayer lives, there's the thing we're asking God for. And God says, oh, that's, that's the thing you want? But then Jesus starts to get below the surface and says, wait, there's something deeper we need to get out of here. You see, the fathers thought his greatest problem was his son. But that's not the greatest problem in this passage, is it? Jesus gets to it. He says, the issue here is not your son. The issue is you and your unbelief. That's the missing ingredient. And for some of you, you're sitting here and you've got a thing in your life. And I don't know if it's a financial bill. I don't know if it's a relational thing. I don't know if it's with a, uh, a son or a daughter. I don't know if it's between a spouse. But you've got a thing that you're praying God for. You've got this thing. And you don't tell many people about it, but you're praying over this thing. You're just like, God, if you just take care of this thing. And here's his father, and he's saying, hey, Jesus, if you just do this thing. And Jesus is like, that's not really the issue. That's not really the thing that I need in your life. Because he's saying, if you can just do something, and Jesus is like, I can do anything. But that's not the thing. We need to go deeper. And I found as I began to pray, God begins to pry back the layers of my heart and begin to get deeper. This is funny. This is kind of, I'm kind of embarrassed to tell you about it. But yesterday I was texting a friend. He goes to the church and he was sport fishing yesterday in Hawaii. And um, if he's listening to this podcast, hello, uh, we love you. And uh, he's sport fishing. He's like, hey, pray for me because the grand prize winner gets 400,000. And I was like, hey, I'm going to pray for him, that God will bless him, that I'm praying he tithes off of this. This is going to be great, you know. And I was just like and I'm praying up a storm and everything. And then I thought about it. I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm praying for him so that he'll think my prayers are somehow the golden ticket for him. And it's not about God. And it convicted my heart. I was like, as I've said in this text, I'm feeling guilty. And I'm like, oh, I'm praying. I was even like, oh, I'll put on dust, sackcloth, and ashes, man. I'm praying and everything. And then, and then he, he was like, pray harder. I got two hours left. And we're just, we're kind of joking a little bit. But then I was, God was revealing the carnality of my heart. And I began to think more and more about it. And I was thinking, that's how often we do it. We got this thing we're praying God for. And God's like, no, I'm trying to do a deeper work. I'm trying to do something else in your heart. And so for this father, Jesus is starting to get to the source. And maybe this morning or maybe through this series, God is, you think God is wanting to answer your, your financial setback. But God is saying, no, no, no. I want to deal with your spending habits. 
You're saying, God just fixed my spouse, and God is like, no, no, I want to fix your temper. Can I get the mic adjusted down just a little bit? It's getting that, that, that pop just, just a little bit. Thank you. I appreciate it. Or maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, you know what? If God would just fire my boss, that would be easier instead of maybe you just need to show up to work on time. Oh, did we get real? All right. I'm sorry. I know. That's bad. I'm sorry. You get convicted at church. We don't want that to happen. God forbid. <laughs> but understand that when it comes to things in your life, you're praying, God, would you do this? And God is saying, no, no, I want to do this. Some of you are praying, God, just give me a man. And God is saying, hey, how about you just fall in love with me first? Some of you are praying, God, if you would just uh, 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 send this thing on in my life, then, then I'll be happy. And God is saying, find your true happiness in me. Stop looking for the next thing and be content in this stage of your life. Some of you are like, if these kids would just grow up and move out, they would just move out. I could put my pool table there. I could have my hot tub in there. And then I could do whatever I want in my house. But these darn kids don't move out. Man, that's not the thing. God is saying, wait a minute. I just gave you an extra year to mentor and mold their lives. And you just want them out? Oh, snap. Some of the kids in here are looking over at their parents like, yeah. Give me my free rent, you know. Now, there's the other issue. That's not the thing. You need to get a job. You need to be in school. You need to work hard. Come on, parents, back me up on this. Man, I'm hearing the parents are way too quiet on this one. So understand that when it comes to that thing, God is saying, I want to deal with the thing, but there's a thing beneath the thing that we've got to deal with. You touch your neighbor and say, God knows about your thing. God knows about your thing. God knows about your thing. He's going to help you with that thing. So understand, we're, we're asking God to help us and to grow. But understand, grief will get you past what you see to what God says. And this is a great promise. Here's this father. All he can see is his son who's possessed, who's got problems. But Jesus wanted him to see past it. And that's my goal for you this morning. I want you to see past what you see into what God says. Because God says, I can do anything. You see, that's, that's the secret of prayer, that God can do anything. That God can handle your situation. That God can pour out his blessing exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or imagine, the Bible says. I hope you have a pretty good imagination. My wife, she convicted me this week. She was talking about how uh, 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 this thought, how when we grow up, we ask little kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? We always ask little kids. And, and, and many of you, you, you'll go up to the children's ministry and say, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they'll tell you, I want to be a fire truck or something. I don't know why they say a fire truck and maybe they mean firemen, you know, but they'll tell you what they want to be. But then when we meet an adult, we don't say, what do you want to be? We say, what do you do? The problem is you have not arrived yet. You're not all that you want to be. But the problem is we stop reaching forward and we settle for here and now. When God has continued to call us to be something, to continue to reach that next level. But we're constantly just setting ourselves up for that, hey, we've arrived. This is as good as it gets. But we need to stop seeing this and start seeing what God says. Because God says he can do anything. And when it comes to us praying a big, hairy, audacious prayer, we're going to have to not look with the eyes that we have, but we're going to have to look with the eyes of faith. The Bible says this in Ephesians 3.20, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. To him with the power that worketh in, God wants to do something great. In 2 Corinthians 5.7 says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. So too often we're guilty of looking with the eyes of our, of, our, our, of our eyes instead of saying, God, give me faith to see beyond this. Give me faith to see what you want to do through this problem. You see, we need to pray past the ordinary and into the unusual. 
Pray past the ordinary. That's why I'm going to encourage you, write down your prayers for a little while. Keep a little journal and write down word for word. Your hand is going to cramp up just like mine did this week, and it's going to be hard. But then after the week of doing it, I want you to go back and read those prayers. And then I want you to say, God, are these prayers big enough? Are they too small? God, what prayers am I praying over my children? Am I just praying that they would be happy and healthy? Is that all that I'm praying? Or am I praying that, God, that they would be courageous in a society that no longer has any heroes? That they would be one to stand when everybody else falls. That they would be the one, as the current is running one way, that they would be a rock in the current of culture. And they would say, I'm not moving. I'm going to stand right here. Because this is what is right, no matter what else that everybody else says. I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to be what's right. Are that what you're praying? Or are you praying they just be happy and healthy? That's a sorry prayer. Don't just pray that prayer. Pray bigger things for them. Ask big things for them. Ask that God would fill them with courage, fill their hearts with love, that they would go into a society that says and speaks about love but doesn't show love, that they would truly be Christ-honoring, loving people, that they would be kind to their spouse, that they would have a strong marriage, that they would raise godly children. Or are we setting our sights so low? You see, we need to pray past the ordinary into the unusual. What are you praying for your marriage? That's a big one. Our marriage series, that blew up. So many people were writing in. They were listening to the podcast. They said that was a help and that was a blessing. That was encouragement. But what are you praying over your marriage now? Marriage series is done. That's over. That was three months ago. Have you stopped praying for your marriage? What are you praying for? You say, well, we've been married, uh, Gertrude and I. We just kind of make it through. It's been 50 years and we'll just kind of keep on going. I just jumped in my mater voice, all right? So that's mater for you. I'm telling you what, you get more than you pay for at this church. It's pretty awesome. But you're just like, oh, we've been married this long. And it's just, if she leave me alone, I leave her alone. That's just kind of what you do. She has her own chair. I have my own chair. She has her own TV. I have my own TV. And that's what we just kind of get along until we die. Really? Have you stopped praying over that? What about your own walk with God? Did something become stale in your devotions? I talked to one guy yesterday. He was a pastor that I worked for. I like him. And he was talking to me, and he was like, yeah, my devotions just kind of died on me, and I just kind of stopped doing them. It's like, really? God's word just stopped speaking to you? I said, I don't think that's so much to do with him as it is to do with you because our po- posture is everything. If you've come to a point where you, you open up the Bible and it's not coming alive where things like this passage aren't jumping off the page to you, I told you I bought this Bible two weeks ago. I'm marking it up like crazy because things are jumping off the page. Hey, I'm not a super Christian. I'm not super pastor. I'm ordinary like you, but God speaks to me and he'll speak to you just like he speaks to me. And so when you open up God's word and you say, God, I'm an open book, turn the distractions off. And you get in his word. I, I dare you to go 30 minutes without something changing your life. No, 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 no. Don't go to the book of Deuteronomy or Leviticus. And you're saying, I tried. I was in Leviticus for 30 minutes. Nothing happened. Come on, man. Don't do that. Go to, go to the gospel and start looking at what Jesus did. And all of a sudden, you're going to be impacted by the truth that here's a dad and here's a son and here's Jesus stepping into a messy situation. Jesus came off of a mountain where he was meeting with God, where God said, this is my beloved son. He comes down from a mountain, from a place of of communion and sweet fellowship, a place where, hey, Moses and Elijah showed up up there. They're, They're having a moment here. Peter, James, and John can't shut up. They're like, hey, give us a work permit so we can build temples to you all right here. And they, they, Peter, James, and John just like, we'll just live up here. This would be all good. We'll just stay here. Peter, James, and John just wanted to stay. But Jesus said, no, no, we got to get off the mountain because there's a mess going on. You see, Jesus is okay with stepping into your mess. 
He's okay with coming down and saying, let's deal with this. So I want you to see, you need belief and nothing more. You need belief and nothing less. And you need belief and nothing else as we wrap this message up. You see, you need that belief. But notice what he said to this father. Verse 23, Jesus said, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believes. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. There had to be an admission. There had to be a point in his life where he came to the fact that he had the issue. He had the problem. If you this morning will say, Lord, I'm remorseful. I'm repentant. You'll find the relief. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said that all your Christian life should be about repentance. Constantly repenting. Constantly just confessing the wrongdoing that we do. Constantly just coming back to God and you will find that sweet relief. Don't carry that weight. Don't carry that burden. Give it up to God. Cast it upon his loving arms and he will take it. He will deal with it. Because there's nothing else that will work. There's nothing else that you can try. You see, this father, he had tried everything. And maybe that's where you've come. Maybe you've come to a situation where you feel like, I've just tried everything. I've tried it all. I've, I've tried everything that there is to try, and it's not working. And it's time to come back to belief and nothing else. We don't add anything. You see, God is not asking us to believe in our ability, but to believe that he is able. Some of you, you're looking at yourself and you're saying, I just don't see it in me. Hey, guess what, church? I look in the mirror and I say, I don't see a pastor there. That's not who I see. I don't see a husband there. That's not who I see. I don't see a father there. That's not who I see. I see a broken, degenerate sinner who needs God's saving grace each and every day. That's what I see. And when you look in the mirror, you don't see a wife. You don't see a mother. You need to see a person that without Jesus Christ is nothing. That's what you need to see in the mirror. And until you get to that point, you will never become what God wants you to fully become. Until you admit the fact that we are in need, in desperate, in great need of Jesus. We don't desperately need, he doesn't desperately need anything from us. We desperately need something from him. We're the ones that are needy. We're the ones that need to call out and Jesus will pour out his blessing. You see, our part is to believe. God's part is to be God. Our part is to believe God. God's part is to be God. And lastly, God is glorified when we're enabled to do what we're unable to do. Notice this, the disciples came to Jesus afterward in verse 29, and he said unto them, this kind comes forth by nothing but prayer and fasting. You want to see these things happen? It takes prayer and it takes fasting. You want to see great things? You want to be enabled to do what you're unable to do? This is what it takes. Jesus wants to enable. We got to close in Romans 8, verse 31. I wrote this down. The Bible says, what shall we say then if these things be for us? If God be for us, who can be against us? He spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. and, And how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? I told you about that thing. I told you about the thing. How many remember the thing? Raise your hand. You remember the thing? You got that thing? Everybody got a thing? Some of you aren't responding. If you got a thing, raise your hand. We all got a thing. Come on, there we go. Now, did you catch it in that verse? You're praying for a thing. And in Romans 8, what did Jesus say? At the very end, he said, hey, I gave you Jesus. How shall I not also freely give you all things? God says, I'll take care of it. You got a thing? I'll take care of your thing. You got an issue? I'll take care of that issue. You've got a struggle, I'll be there. But it takes belief. 
It's the missing ingredient. You see, we need Christians who are caught in the act of believing this week. Caught in the act of trusting God for something big. Caught in the act of saying, God, I'm going to step out like I've never stepped out before. I don't necessarily see it, but I'm believing you to do great things. See, the fear of falling always precedes the thrill of soaring. But until you're willing to step out, you're never going to see the, the Red Sea part. You're never going to see God's wonders, God's miracles, God's power revealed. Because sometimes when you pray for God's power and your anointing, and all you're doing is the same day-to-day work, why would God show up in that situation? Put yourself in a situation where you desperately require God's power to show up. Put yourself out there and watch what God does. Step back and say, God, where's my belief in this situation? Because God is most glorified when we are enabled to do what we're unable to do. Because at that point, everybody looks around and says, that was God. Look at that theater. They filled that thing up. Look at those people. They believe God. Every, every Sunday, I saw them. Every Sunday, they walk up. Every Sunday, they stop at that Starbucks. Every Sunday, I served their coffee. And every Sunday, they went up to that theater. And they prayed. And they asked God to fill it up. And they asked God to save people's souls. And they asked God to do a work in San Jose. They just believed. They were just crazy with belief. Those people were just excited about God doing something. They just went to the church and just started out of nothing. With no money. With no building. With no resources. With no people. And look what God did. They just raised up something out of nothing. That couldn't have been those people. It had to have been God. It couldn't have been that preacher. I know that guy. Couldn't have been that person oh it couldn't have been that church member they got that pass but look what god did to that church member and that pastor and that church member and that broken down person and that person with the past and that person with those issues and look how god is using that person's on the stage every sunday singing that person's leading a bible study that person's leading souls to christ and that person is doing something great for god because they started to believe church you've got to believe you've got to believe i told you i believe i told you i feel like it's a calling on my life to believe for for you but I don't want to be just the only one you need to start believing God you just take God's promises his word and say I stand on the word of God because God stands by his word you say I'm going to take that to the bank 